they really just want to stay and hear me speak, which is certainly not the case. I don't know if, if you caught this at all in, in Matt introducing me back at the beginning of the week, but um, Matt and I serve the same church right now. Uh, he is, uh, he's a friend, which is how I got this job. A little bit of nepotism, I guess. Um, somehow Phil signed off on it. Uh, but I'm glad, glad to be here. Um, and I've tried to think all, trying to think been trying to think all week um, how to give him a hard time, what to do to make his job even more pleasant while he's here, um, and if he continues to be a uh, the the chairman for Family Two for years to come, and you're back here every year, probably one thing you do just to encourage him every year would just to be to play Christmas music for him. In the middle of July, he, uh, back at our home church, well, I don't know, it's not tied to our home church, but for years he has been the president of what he calls the One Holiday at a Month Club. One Holiday at a Time Club, sorry, One Holiday at a Time Club. So he's morally opposed to Christmas music anytime before Thanksgiving. Anytime before Thanksgiving, and anytime at when's the deadline? When does that come? When it, when can you when do you how long can you play? And then it has to stop. January. Yeah. Well, as Christmas decorations are coming down. Christmas decorations. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's taking applications for anybody who wants to join him. It's a really small club. Yes. All right, some of you have, have been gracious and, and commented on the graphics on the screen. Um, I, I tried to give some visuals to help you uh, visualize what we're talking about as well. And as I was doing that, I was trying to... There's so much that you could try to visualize. And um, my wife looked at him and said, yeah, that's too much, too busy. So I had to cut back and pull back. In the process of doing that, my, my daughter was watching, uh, looking at them, and let me skip ahead to yeah, the, the stick figure. I wish I had a better stick figure, because my daughter looked at those and she said, Dad, are you, te- are you teaching about bathroom people? You know, like the, the bathroom signs, the, the male and female? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, so someone just asked, what are the letters in the corner? Those are the, the four parts of the story. So creation, fall, redemption, consummation. And we're in um, act three here. So this is the redemption part, but this is part two of the story. We started yesterday with what we would call redemption accomplished, what Jesus came to do. Uh, and today we're going to talk about part two of that redemption applied, what that means in the life of each individual believer. Um, thank you for asking. That was a really good segue. I, I didn't actually have a really good introduction for today, so thank you. Uh, we're going to primarily be in 2 Corinthians 4 and 5, uh, but again, because really most of Scripture is about this whole scenario, redemption, how God is coming. We're going to bounce around a little bit, but primarily 2 Corinthians 4 and 5. Uh, so again, we, we saw yesterday how God speaks into uh, the broken world that is corrupted by sin after the fall, speaks life in through the person of his son, and then we're going to see how that changes in, in each of us. And uh, the idea, we talked about reconciliation yesterday, how that, uh, by Jesus coming, that breaks, uh, that resolves the conflict, the hostility between God and man. And today we're going to look at more of the idea of regeneration, how those of us who are dead in our sins are now made alive. New life in Christ is what the focus is going to be. Um, I'll I'll ask you here, if if there is new life for us who are dead in our sins, how does that come about? How, How does God speak that life into us? Is there a speaking that God is doing that brings that new life to us? 
It is finished. Excellent point. And another thing that I thought after I taught yesterday, uh, I should have said, remember that Christ on the cross said, it is finished. The work he came to do was done. And then he went back into heaven and he sat down. Uh, His work is completed. Uh, Yes, that is true. Any other ways that God speaks life? Uh, Calls us to repent. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, he he speaks uh, in his, one of the things he speaks to us is the promise of of adoption. He he grants us uh, not just a a clean slate, not just, okay, now you're back to the level where you started. Um, in, in this new phase of life that we have in Christ, it's a, it's a full-on promotion to the level of, of sonship, um, which is far more, far more than we deserve. I am, yeah. He continues to speak truth about himself. Uh, but one of the things he says, I am the way, the truth, and the... Life. Life is found in Christ. The theme verse for this, this whole summer, John 10, 10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. It's found in Christ himself. 2 Corinthians 5, where we're going to be, uh, verse 17, probably a verse you know. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. It's not talking about the end of times, which we'll talk about tomorrow when everything is new, it's talking about now. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 speaks of this. Uh, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he has made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Uh, but here to answer kind of the question, First uh, Peter 1 tells us, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through what? The living and abiding word of God. So again, we have this theme of God speaking. God's word spoken, preached, uh, is what comes to every individual soul and awakens life in them. It's what is causing the regeneration to happen. God's words. Uh, back, we, we talked about John 6 uh, yesterday when Jesus said, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. Uh, and because of that, many of his disciples left. And Jesus asked his disciples, are you going to leave too? You know, the, his core disciples. You remember what they said? Where else will we go? You have... The words of life. God's words, Jesus' words, are the words that bring life. Life is found in Him, and uh, His words bring life into the individual soul that is dead in sin. Uh, So, God is regenerating people through His Word, specifically what we would call the Gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that Christ died for sinners and that He was buried and He was raised again on the third day. And that act of resurrection offers us future resurrection, which we'll talk about tomorrow, but it starts the process in the dead souls now being awakened to life uh, we sing about that. I can't remember which song, but what a foretaste of deliverance, uh, the, the new life that we have now. All right, so God is awakening that in us. Um, he's creating new life. Is he doing any that? Is he doing anything in this scenario that has to do with dwelling again with us? We saw that Jesus came and dwelt among us. God promised a future dwelling with us. Does his act of regenerating us with new spiritual life have anything to do with dwelling with us again? Yeah. Oh, sorry, I forgot I had a picture here. Here's a, a picture of the, the new life, um, the water kind of reflection that while we're still in our body of death, that's in the lower part of the image, uh, the, the real 
that there is a true spiritual life that is born in Christ himself. Uh, and in his death, he brings us life. Uh, that's an important point. Before we move on to the dwelling part, um, another part of us bringing, being able to have this new life, being regenerated, is our own death. In the same way that Jesus brought life out of death through his own death and offers life, uh, we're told that there's a death that has to happen to us, right? Uh, Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. Jesus Christ now lives in me. Uh, there is a death that has to happen. We have to be crucified. The old man has to be put to death. Uh, the, the, the one who is rebellious, the one who is saying, no, I want to be my own God, my own live my life my own way, that has made itself an enemy of God, that's what has to be put to death and come to peace terms on Jesus' terms. That crucifixion allows us to then have this life. Uh, but then the following promise is, Jesus Christ now lives in me. There's that, that dwelling we're talking about. Uh, it's not just that we've been made alive and, and let to run free. No, uh, the way Paul Tripp puts it, that God himself came down, unzips you, and steps inside of you. Uh, there is a new life inside of you. This is not something that Adam and Eve never had. Uh, and the saints in the Old Testament never had. So we're not just being restored to where Adam and Eve started. Uh, we're being promoted to the level of sonship, and we're being given Christ himself living in us. And as one of you said, the Holy Spirit also comes to dwell in us. That's two members of the Trinity who are personally invested in you and your new life in Christ. Uh, that's a pretty significant thing. Uh, we read about that in 1 Corinthians 3. Do you not know that you are God's temple? Again in 1 Corinthians 6. Uh, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you. So it's not just that God is in us. There's that temple imagery again where God dwelt with his people. Now that is every individual believer. The temple of God. Um, continues on there in verse Corinthians 6. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So God is regenerating us. He's doing it so that he can dwell again with man, but he's doing it in individual believers. So uh, we are now the temple. He regenerates with the words of life. That is what he is speaking to us. Um, I think I have the... I don't know if you can tell on that picture. So the reason the colors are the way they are, there's the, the red image of the, of, of the human, but it's outlined in black as opposed to Christ who was just all red. Uh, because we have this new life inside us, even though we still live in this body of death, this body of the flesh. Uh, but God is dwelling in us. We have the new life inside of us. All right, let's consider how that changes. What does that have to do with uh, our role as the image of God? Uh, does that change how we now steward? Uh, let me ask it this way. Uh, if there's new life in Christ that has to do with the gospel, the death, and the resurrection of Christ, is there anything about that that has to do with spreading over the whole earth? The Great Commission! Yes, Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Actually, let's start in verse 18. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Uh, there are like six different points just in there. Um, the last one, I am with you, God dwelling with us still. Um, the first verse, verse 18, why is Jesus saying this? On what basis is he giving us a commission? All authority, all dominion. <laughs> he has the rights to over the earth again. Because of what he just accomplished on the cross and in his resurrection, he's taken back the world from 
the prince of the power of the air, the, the prince of the earth for the time being. He has come and done what Adam was supposed to do. He, is now, he now has all authority, and now he's recommissioning people, right? He's redeputizing human beings to finish the work that he started, like God did with Adam. So the dominion mandate is now re-clarified as the Great Commission. The Great Commission is the new dominion mandate. Go and spread the goodness of the garden all over the earth through to all nations. Make disciples of all nations. Uh, so it is, it is clarified. It is a, a spiritual dominion that we're searching for. Uh, that doesn't mean that efforts at having dominion over the physical earth are, are not what we're supposed to be doing. It doesn't mean that farmers should stop tilling or we should stop doing you know, c- conservation efforts or stop, you know, stop trying to fight pollution or anything like that. That's not, not that, uh, what it's saying. But uh, the next level of our dominion mandate is spreading God's glory because the glory is found in the gospel. Uh, back to our, our main text, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you look at verse 18 and 19, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to who? To us, this message of reconciliation. Uh, so now our responsibility to steward is focused on we're stewarding the good news, the good news of reconciliation. We're been, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Uh, God is continuing to speak, but he is speaking through us. It's not just God speaking now. It is us speaking on his behalf. Uh, and there's another verse here that says that. Uh, we'll get to it at some point. Uh, it says God making his appeal through us. Somewhere else in my notes. Uh, oh, yeah, the next verse, verse 20. Therefore, here's another idea. We are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Uh, so we're, we're, we've been given the, the role of ambassador, emissary. We go and represent God in a place uh, where people don't know him. An ambassador goes to a foreign country puts up his own country's flag in a place that doesn't understand that country, his home country, and represents. Uh, that's our job. All right, um, let's see here. Be fruitful. Uh, part of the steward aspect of the dominion mandate, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. This is uh, given new dimensions in the spiritual great commission. Be fruitful, multiply, make disciples of all nations. Now, it doesn't mean that we stop being fruitful and multiplying in a, in a physical sense. That doesn't mean we give up on being parents and having families. Um, being a parent and having kids in your home, that is your first and primary arena of making disciples and, and being a part of this great commission, fulfilling this commission of making disciples. Uh, you are making disciples in your own home. It, it would be a tragedy uh, to make disciples everywhere else except in your home. Uh, that's not what Jesus is calling us to do. Uh, so don't think of your responsibility being parents in the ways that being parents limits you and, and makes you slow down and and focus and spend time and, and, and feel like you're uh, yeah, beating your head against the wall. Uh, don't think of those as keeping you from doing what Jesus commanded. That is the first and primary way that you get to do that. Uh, the Great Commission, this new stewardship mandate, the image of God, uh, is also tied to obedience, right? Um, if we read, go back to Matthew 28, if we are making disciples, we're baptizing them, and then we're also what? teaching them to observe or obey everything that I have commanded you. Uh, Romans 6 reminds us of of why we obey. If we've been given grace, you've been forgiven in forgiveness, why do we still obey? Romans 6, 12. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make it obey its passions, to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members 
to sin as instruments for righteous, unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as though have been as those who have been brought from death to life, and present your members to God as instruments for righteousness. If you've been brought out of death, been given new life, don't keep going back to that death, like Proverbs. Don't be a dog who keeps going back to its vomit. Um, we can obey. Our motive is now refreshed and brought into life. We obey because we've been given life. We don't obey to try to earn that life, right? We, be, we can obey. And it's possible if the Holy Spirit is in us and Christ himself is in us, it's possible for us to obey in ways that it never was before. Um, Romans eight thirteen says, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You have the Holy Spirit in you who can help you put to death those things. Uh, and that's the same Spirit who raised Christ from the dead. Uh, that's a great promise. Um, this is, there's a lot that could be said here. And um, yeah, when you're trying to cover the whole story of the Bible, you're going to leave a lot out, right? Um, but I, I was thinking about this, excuse me, and hearing everything that, that Steve has been, been talking about and, and will get to talk about, and, and hopefully we'll still get to talk about what he was going to talk about last night, uh, all of that, uh, and what our family devotions have been centered on in Colossians chapter 3. Um, Steve has been doing a lot of really specific uh, applications of wisdom, and he even said wisdom is the thoughtful application of truth to specific circumstances of life, something to that effect. And James is super practical in that way. So there are a lot of very clear what to do and, and how to do it. And that's what the family devotions are full of too with Colossians. Um, I would characterize what I'm talking about, not so much about what to do or even how to do it, but this is more why to, if that makes sense. Uh, trying to lay the groundwork uh, and get us to the point, and this is that point, why do we obey? Why do we do the things that, that Steve is talking about? Why do we do the things that Colossians 3 is talking about? Uh, because it's a part of the whole story of Scripture that now we can obey and we should obey um, and, and be a part of what God created us to be in the image of God. Um, trying to lay the groundwork for that. Um, that being said... Um, was thinking just through some specifically practical things here. And um, on, a, on, a, on an average Saturday in our house, um, on an average Saturday, I'm home from work, you know, been at work most of the week. I'm home from work, and I have a list of things that I'm thinking about doing. And um, I'm home from work, my wife, Christy, has a list of things that she's thinking about doing, things she's been thinking about all week doing, um, but because of the kids or other things, has not gotten done throughout the week. Uh, and so she may be thinking, just hypothetically, Kyle's home, and so maybe I can have time to get some of these things done, right? And I'm thinking, I've been at work all week, I haven't even got to fix that thing or uh, go and work on this project. Um, can anybody just kind of anticipate where this might come together? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, and then, then you add in there communication, right? Not just that we have different ideas, but whether or not we communicate about it well can help or just make it a bigger problem. Um, uh, but what, understanding some of all of what we've talked about uh, that we were created in the image of God, and that uh, understanding that we're sinners by nature, and that our default mode of thinking is, is going to probably appeal to our own flesh, uh, and and that Christ has has come and given us new life, and that uh, we we should be thinking differently than just our default mode of thinking, and and our life is not about us because we are bought with a price, and. Uh, and I'll even add this little phrase, which is from a Sovereign Grace kids song, but I think really sums this up well. 
sin's not in charge anymore, right? Uh, that's what new life means. That what it means that that Christ is in us. That you don't have to obey the flesh and its passions. Without Christ, you're a slave to your passions. But sin's not in charge anymore if you're in Christ. So even when we find ourselves in the middle of the day thinking, what is the other person doing here? Uh, and we're trying to figure out how can we finish this day well, we have the possibility of talking through that, fixing our, our bad communication, figuring out how we can serve each other as opposed to just get our own list done. It, it's possible. Uh, it can be done. It can be done in, even while kids are fighting and not doing what they're supposed to do. Sin's not in charge anymore, and we can live, uh, bear the image of God, represent Him. We can obey even in those situations. Um, this other aspect of the image of God, worship. Uh, and I said before, these are all really kind of tied to each other. Remember the idea of, of worship being beholding and becoming, and then beholding and bearing witness Beholding and becoming, first of all, uh, still in 2 Corinthians, just move back to chapter 3 here, verse 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Uh, What is happening there? We're beholding and we're becoming like what? Like Christ himself. Because Christ came as the image of God and then has awoken us to new life, our role as the image of God to behold him and become like him has become, has become a little bit more focused Uh, We're not just generally representing God. We have a specific objective now. We are supposed to be Christ-like. Christ is the image of God, and we behold Him, and we're transformed into His glory. Romans 8, 28 and 29, For those He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. We have Christ-likeness is our, our new Worship. It's our new pursuit. Being like God is now Christ-likeness. Uh, I might be pretty good at making things sound really complex and deep and maybe more complicated than they are. But this is pretty simple, right? <laughs> Your pursuit of Christ-likeness is part of being the image of God. So the other part of that worship, beholding and bearing witness... This is what the Great Commission is about. We behold His glory and we go and tell others about it. I haven't really said this up to this point, but what we normally think of worship, worship time, worship music, singing is definitely a part of that. Singing is definitely a part of that. We should praise God with our mouths uh, for who He is, what He has done. Um, I encourage you, I'm not specifically looking around trying to, to see who's not singing, Cody's probably trying not to pay attention to that too (laughs) up front. Um, But if you know Christ and you know that you're supposed to bear witness of him, don't miss out on singing. That's like, that's like an open layup for you. It's all set up. You can just, the words are already written for you. Someone else is playing the music. Just open your mouth and sing along and praise God for who he is. Don't miss out on that. Uh, but then we also have to go and, and tell others. That's what the Great Commission is about. We're ambassadors. We have the ministry uh, of reconciliation. Uh, I'm, I'm really grateful to, to have seen that played out in, in the life of, of one of my sons. Uh, his youth pastor, Pastor Matt, uh, challenged the, the whole youth group to, uh, to be sharing the gospel and pass out the gospel of John uh, and our we are, our kids are in a, a local public school, and so my son started doing this. And I don't know how many he passed out. Uh, he took a bunch and then came back for more. And um, he also was really getting encouraging people to watch the the series, The Chosen. Uh, he got really hooked on that and uh, started encouraging people to watch it. And 
Several of his classmates started watching it, started reading the Gospel of John. He was able to do a, a Bible study in study hall at his, uh, his public school. And um, some of his, his classmates made professions of faith uh, because of that. Uh, one of his teachers, who was an unbeliever, we, we went to a student-teacher, parent-teacher conference, and the first thing that this man said, and we knew he was not a believer, the first thing he said was, your son's been passing out the gospel of John in my classroom. And we did not know where that was going to go. <laughs> um, we did not know. But he, even in his unbelief, had great respect for our son because of that. And um, it, it, was, it was unfortunate that, um, so that was earlier last school year, uh, just a few months ago, uh, this teacher passed away unexpectedly. Um, and without any indication to us that he ever came to saving faith. Uh, and my wife was just saying how, how hard it was to cross him off her list of people she was praying for. Um, we just don't know. But uh, there, there are those people out there around us who don't know this saving knowledge. They don't know the new life they can have in Christ. Uh, and if we don't go and tell them uh, they could die tomorrow. Uh, so let us be, let us fulfill our commission, our image of God, and uh, let, let's, let's finish this job that God has given us, that Jesus has started. Um, the image of God is individual, uh, this restored image of God. It's also corporate. Remember, I talked back in the beginning, uh, the image of God is reflected individually, also in relationships and marriage. It's also reflected in the nations. We're going to see here it's also reflected in the church. Individually, we bear the image of God, but now the church, the body of Christ, uh, reflects God in different ways. Uh, it is the body of Christ. It's not just one individual who is reflecting the image of God, but together we reflect it. And we carry that responsibility. The church has the responsibility to go to the nations, and we individually too. Ephesians chapter 2 God would reconcile us both, Jews, Gentiles, to God in one body through the cross, killing the hostility. All right, we are at the time to follow the threads. Um, the garden, this is not clicking here. Okay, there we go. When it comes to us, our new life in Christ, do you think of anything that has to do with the garden? Yes, and one, someone mentioned that yesterday, that uh, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Uh, so Jesus is the vine, we grow from him. He, the, the, the garden is now springing out of, of him. And, and we are kind of pictured as the garden that now has to be tended and then spread around uh, the world. Uh, we're, we're, we've spoken of as, as plants needing to be grown. Uh, Matthew 3, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, for example. At the same time, we're also we're, we're pictured as the, the garden that kind of needs to be cultivated and grown ourselves. We're also pictured as co-laborers in that garden, right? Uh, 1 Corinthians 3, we are God's fellow workers. We are working with him to tend this garden and, and grow it. And expand it. The temple. All right, so going back to yesterday, Jesus, we mentioned when he died on the cross, the moment he died, the temple curtain was torn. So we now have access to God directly through Christ, uh, through Christ himself. And let's see here. Um, I, don't, I didn't write this down. Hebrews 4 talks about that, that we can go to straight to God in his throne room because Christ is seated there. Uh, we are now the temple. We're talking about that. 1 Corinthians 6. Um, Ephesians 2 also talks about the temple. Uh, the, the whole church built on the foundation of the apostles, the prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Individual, corporate, we are the dwelling place. We are where God dwells with man, where 
the world can come and see who this God is. All right, tree. Anything about the tree that you can think of? Fruit. The fruit of the Spirit. Yeah, again, there's this fruit imagery that we're, we're producing something. Uh, now, remember, the original tree, there is, the original trees, there was a tree that brought life, the tree of eternal life, and then there was a tree that could bring death as well. Jesus reminds us in Luke chapter 6 uh, that we could be either of those. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Whether we are a tree that offers life to those around us, or a tree that does not offer life but brings bad fruit, even death, it depends on where our heart is at. what the desires of our heart are, if they are still ruled by the flesh or if our heart is made new. Yeah, we've been grafted in. Um, Most of us, I'm assuming, most of us are not uh, ethnically Jewish, right? Most of us are the Gentiles that have been grafted into this promise. This promise is not just for Israel, it is for the whole world, but it is Grafted, we've been grafted into that, uh, that family tree of Jesus, uh, and we've been given the blessings that come with that. Yeah. Food, let's look at food here. We talked about communion last, last yesterday, and what Jesus said happens at communion, but he then repeat, he said, this isn't, wasn't just a one-time thing, right? Do this in remembrance of me. We're supposed to continually, even those of us who know Jesus, we're supposed to continually remember how he offered his body and his blood to us. And we don't take it again to be saved again, but we are supposed to be reminded uh, that we're supposed to be all in on this. We're supposed to consume this Jesus. Uh, and that he, he's the only one that brings us life. <clears throat> And in doing that, 1 Corinthians 11 tells us, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim, right? Part of us beholding and bearing witness, proclaiming, this is, a, this is one of the ways we do that, communion. Don't miss out on that. That's another easy layup. <laughs> Show the world that you believe that Jesus died for you and you're taking his body and his blood uh, through communion. Any other ideas that you think of with food, the Christian life, new life that we have in Christ? Yeah, Jesus said, we were talking yesterday about the this woman at the well, Samaritan woman. Uh, Jesus told his disciples, I have food that you don't know about to do the will of my father. Um, he, he came to do that. <clears throat> a great little scenario there, and the disciples did not get it. Uh, and I think the chosen actually captures that well. Who gave you food? Um, yes. Uh, is that food that we can eat? Jesus ate that food. Is that food we can eat? Yeah. Uh, and and it, it's pictured, God's word is pictured that way. Remember in Hebrews 5, whoever Hebrews, the author is writing to, he said, you need milk, not yet solid food. He's talking about God's word. They had to go back and relearn the things they were supposed to already know, but the idea is they should have been ready for solid food. They're supposed to keep feeding on God's word and keep growing in that. Keep listening. That's a part of their worship. Keep hearing the voice of God, not these other voices around them. Mm-hmm. All right, let's look at clothing. Sorry, was there something else? Yeah, so do not work for that. Um, doesn't mean don't eat food today. You should eat food today. Uh, but there is a greater food that we're supposed to be living off of. Yeah, one more there. Yeah, so Jesus said that was the foundation of how he 
did not succumb to temptation, but that's meant for all of us. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by the word of God. Yes. All right, let's look ahead at clothing. Uh, Excuse me. The, uh, we talked yesterday about the image of the, the vision of Jeremiah, not Jeremiah, forget his name, the prophet or the, the priest, Joshua the priest in the book of Zechariah. Uh, and he had dirty clothes on uh, and he was told, take those off. You will be given robes of righteousness. Uh, and that's an image of what happens to us uh, in Christ while we're still in this body of flesh. Uh, the, the idea that we have, uh, the, the theological idea is we've been imputed righteousness. We're not made inherently righteous, right? We're not instantly transformed. There's no sin in you anymore. You're completely righteous. No, we're imputed. We're credited righteousness. And we, we just get to put on Jesus' cloak of righteousness and stand in that. Uh, and so whenever God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin. He sees that we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Uh, that's different than uh, other ideas of, of, of salvation, even like the Catholic doctrine of atonement. The idea is you are, when you are saved, you're made inherently righteous, and you have to keep that righteousness by not sinning. If you sin, you lose that, and you have to work your way back up. That's why they have those system of venial and mortal sins. And if you do those, then you have to do so many works. And then you have to go to purgatory to finish paying for those sins that you did after you were made righteous. Uh, that's not what, what we believe the gospel teaches us. We know we're still sinners, uh, but we're clothed in Christ's righteousness, and we can stand before God on that basis. <clears throat> Uh, beyond that, uh, we're told as a part of the Christian life now, part of the continuing to obey and becoming like Jesus, uh, Ephesians 4, that's not the way you learn Christ. You were taught to put off your old self, again, like kind of take off that old cloak, which belongs to your former manner of life, is corrupted through de- deceitful desires, be renewed in the spirit of your minds, renewed with truth, with God's word, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness, as echoed in Colossians 3 that we've been studying, the family devotions. Put off, put on. Uh, Every point in our Christian life, we can say, I'm going to take off my flesh and I'm going to put on the righteousness of Christ. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 speaks of the physical body that we have, like a tent. We groan, we're burdened. Not that we want to be unclothed, but that we be further clothed. Not anticipating the time when we will be clothed completely in perfect righteousness, but even now more and more clothed in righteousness. Excuse me. Um, idea is bound up in verse 21 of 2 Corinthians 5. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So Christ took our sin on him. He made him to be sin. We were talking about that he became the curse for us so that we might become, be covered in the righteousness of God. Uh, Tim Challies, I really like how he approached this in, uh, in his book, Visual Theology. Uh, if, if you, you might want to check that book out too. Uh, but he used the, the situation where Jesus called Lazarus out of the tomb uh, as a really good example of that. In John chapter 11, Jesus uh, raised him from the dead, and then he he called him out. And do you remember what Jesus said after that? He didn't just say, Lazarus, come out. He said one more thing after that. Unbind him. Let him go. What What do you mean unbind him? Take off his grave clothes. He was wrapped in these grave clothes for, for burial. But he was alive again. Did he need grave clothes? No. Take off the grave clothes put on new, fresh garments uh, and go about like you're living again, because he was. Uh, That's the picture of the Christian life and the picture of sanctification for us every day. Take off those grave clothes. You you don't live in death anymore. Put on the righteousness of Christ. Uh, Let that life in you come out uh, in, in good fruit of the Spirit. Yes. Marriage. Does marriage have anything to do here?
Ephesians 5 quotes Genesis 2. Therefore a man shall leave his mother and hold fast, his father and mother hold fast his wife, and the two shall be one, become one flesh. And it goes on to explain, this mystery is profound, but I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Christ and the church are pictured as the participants in the marriage here. Uh, God referred to Israel as his bride, his chosen people. Um, that was put on hold for the time being, and now he's calling out a new chosen people from all nations, and he's also calling us his bride, the bride of Christ. Okay, let's finish up here. The serpent in the New Testament, the serpent is continued to be used as a as an example of God's enemies. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul writes, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Uh, specifically in that context, he's talking about false teachers coming into the church, people who uh, deceive the church, the bride of Christ, those in God's image, with Another message, another truth, wisdom from below, false teachers. Uh, the same thing is true in Romans chapter 16. Romans 16, verse 19. Uh, be excellent at what is good, be innocent of evil. The next verse, for the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Uh, Satan was crushed on the cross, uh, but we're going to continue to carry out that ministry of serpent crushing under our feet by defeating false truth, by continuing to tell the truth uh, and, and weeding out the lies that come into the church. Uh, it's all about the, who we're listening to and us continuing to make that, uh, bear, bear that witness, God making his appeal through us. We will crush the serpent as we make more and more disciples and spread God's glory. All right, the lamb... Here we go. And blood, we're reminded in 1 Peter, you were ransomed from feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. We understand we are created in God's image as the creator. He owns us and tells us who we are and what we're supposed to do. If you belong to Christ, he died for you. The precious blood of the Lamb of God was spilt for you. Uh, you were bought with a price. You are not your own. We're doubly owned in Christ because he created us and then he died for us. So we, um, we must heed what he tells us that we are supposed to do, who we're supposed to be living for. It, it is... We are not our own. All right, the last little thread here, and I skipped this one last yesterday, but the city, going back to, to talking about Jesus, uh, Jesus had a, a tough relationship with cities. You know, obviously, he came from the city of David, uh, where that city was experienced the tragedy of Herod coming and killing the babies. Um, he was not welcomed in his own hometown. Um, when he went to the city of peace, Jerusalem, he had a very tough relationship with Jerusalem as well, uh, to the point where he, he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets. Uh, but they, I would have gathered you under my wings. He, he wanted them to come to him and, and, and come into his reconciliation, into his peace. Uh, but they were, many of them were still enemies, unfortunately. And uh, as a city, somewhat collectively, uh, they were his enemy as well. We still live in that period. Not everything is made new yet, right? And we still live in the period where uh, cities are, are not our home. And I'm not necessarily talking about physical cities that you should go move out to the country. Um, but cities are, are where people gather and, and where you can find a belonging. And we, we may be tempted to think wherever we live, whether it's in a city or, you know, I'm from southeast Iowa, 
Um, I lived in the, in the country most of my life. Uh, we moved back there. I feel like Southeast Iowa is my home. That's, that's my place to, to, to be. Um, to some degree, I feel like those are my people. Um, but God's Word reminds us that we, we don't yet have our place. We don't yet have our people. Uh, it doesn't matter where you live, if it's your hometown or a new place that you found you love. It, it, your, your workplace, it, those aren't your people. Uh, you, your rec league are not your people. Whatever, whatever club you're a part of, knitting or pickleball or whatever, those aren't your people. And, and even, even your church Right, right now we understand the church is full of wheat and tares, right? Uh, and, and sometimes we find the church might not be our home, uh, a specific church or a specific group of people. Uh, and, and Abraham found that, Hebrews 11. By faith Abraham called, obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in a land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob. He was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And then the rest of the people in the hall of faith. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland, Uh, But as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. A place, a homeland to dwell, a people to be with. Uh, I think C.S. Lewis said that we're we're aching for this homeland that we, we haven't even been to yet, but we know it is home because we don't belong here. So we're looking for that. We're waiting for that. Um, in the meantime, we don't belong here. Our responsibility is to obey, to worship, to steward, to behold, and to bear witness to those around us. Uh, and at times, it may feel really, really hard, but sharing the gospel, inviting people to understand what we're talking about uh, it is unnatural to them. They, they are born in sin like all of us were. It's like, uh, we're like Lucy Pevensey trying to convince the rest of her siblings that there is a Narnia on the other side of the wardrobe, right? She went through first and came back. And they're like, what are you even talking about? Of course they disbelieved you. If your sister came back and told you that she went into the closet and found a fawn, tumness on the other side, you would think she's crazy. Um, and that's how the world, that's how those born in sin are going to react to our good news. But we continue to make our appeal be reconciled to God. Let's pray. And we thank you for our day. We thank you for the new life that we have in Christ. Uh, we thank you that even though we don't belong here, we don't yet have our people, that we will have a city one day. We will have a home with you where we can dwell forever. Until then, God, pray that you would use us to finish the work you started, uh, to spread your glory throughout this world so that more and more people will know the good news of Jesus Christ. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.